do you treat people who have hurt you or people who have hurt those you love? This is Saturday, November 11th, and I don't know about you, but I naturally desire to give people what they deserve. You probably have felt the same thing. If they've harmed us, there's a desire for retribution, for retaliation. Now, the Jewish people were of two minds about this. First, Scripture told them not to take revenge. Yet at the same time, God commands them to bring justice as far as it depends on them. Add to that their examples of revenge in the Scripture. For example, even as Moses was ready to retire from his ministry and be replaced by Joshua, the Lord told him, Take vengeance on the Midianites because of the Israelites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. That's Numbers chapter 31, verse 2. It sounds like the Lord is telling Moses that he has unfinished business and he can complete his work by bringing justice to the Midianites for the way they treated Israel. Here's another example. Perhaps you also remember that David refused to take revenge on a man named Shimei, the son of Gera. He caused him a lot of trouble. But before his death, David instructed Solomon to give Shimei what he had coming to him once David passed away. In Scripture, we're also told about appointed, an appointed family member who would avenge the killing of a relative. This person is called an avenger of blood. So how are we to see this? What are we to do? How can God's people be a people of peace when they feel they have the right to take revenge. And then, when will the killing stop? Now here's our text for today. I'm going to read Romans 12, verse 17 to 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good." Now, here's what those changed by the gospel do with their enemies. First, they walk in such a way as not to stir up trouble. We desire to keep peace with everybody. Of course, we cannot choose how people will treat us and how people will respond to us. But we can avoid that which we know will create problems. But even then, there will be a time when conflict comes. Notice Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. But at times, it will not depend on you. Even then, we don't repay evil for evil. We don't practice retributive, retributive justice. We don't strike back against those who have struck out against us. Instead, we trust God to do what is right and to apply His justice. This should make sense to us. Here's why. When someone hurts us, our hearts become so entangled when what has happened that likely we're the least capable of bringing true justice to bear. 
Our eyes can be blinded by the offense or the hatred that we feel in the wake of it. How are we to wisely respond when we're hurt? I think this is what we do. We get to a safe place, but we do not take revenge. We can only keep peace by relying on the power of Christ at work in us. Every fiber of our being may call out for us to get even, to settle the score. I'm not sure it could be more strongly said than Paul says it here. Feed your enemy. Give him something to drink. In a sense, Paul is saying that our place is not a neutral one, but instead of dispensing retribution, we need to give grace even to those who have stood against us. To make this clear, he says this is like burning, heaping burning coals on that person's head. Now, this sounds like a strange activity to us. What does that mean, and how do we do this? He's not talking about hurting them in any way, but he's talking about the shame they feel when the very person who has hurt them now comes and serves them and extends grace to them. Then they will simmer with shame over their actions. I've personally seen this at work in ministry many times. I remember visiting a woman in, in, from our church who had been harsh and unkind. She was in the hospital, and then she was open in expressing her shock that I would actually visit her. Afterward, our relationship was never the same. She saw me loving her when her actions toward me had been everything but loving. And I'm not telling you this to make myself the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero, and this is his way. And his love was at work within me. In my flesh, I would have never wanted to visit her. But I realized how much Jesus loved her. This is how the first believers began to change the world. Now, one thing you must admit about Jesus is that central to his message is the forgiveness of others. He said it like this in the Sermon on the Mount. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's Matthew 6, 14 to 15. Now, in some ways, those words sound frightening. And I was troubled by them when, when I thought they meant that God's forgiveness is conditional. But that's not actually what Jesus is saying. He is saying it is those who have been forgiven by the Father who actually learn the way of forgiveness. Those who know the magnitude of their sin and have been forgiven and received grace, they can extend that grace that they've give, been received, that they have received. He says, how then could you not forgive? Now, if we miss what Paul is trying to teach us here, he ends with this expansive phrase, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is not wishful thinking, but an expression of the power of the gospel. We tend to think that the opposite is true, that evil is more powerful than good. We almost glorify the power of evil in our stories and movies and literature. Indeed, C.S. Lewis said there are very few people who have made good more beautiful than evil in their stories. But Jesus did this in his entire life, and he invites us to follow him. It is the grace of Jesus that teaches us that mercy triumphs over judgment, 
and that evil cannot stand in the face of good. This is the good news that we have and that we're called to live in because of Jesus. Let's pray. Loving God, we rejoice in the power of your grace in our world. We know this power because we've seen it at work in our lives. Enable us to extend this grace of yours, the gospel, outward to those around us. For we pray in your name.